This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, To consciously become close is a courageous form of unilateral disarmament, a chancing of our arm and our love, a willingness to hazard our affections and an unconscious declaration that we might be equal to the inevitable loss that the vulnerability of being close will bring. End quote. This is the third of a five-part series on poet and author David White's book, Consolations. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, I'd encourage you to go back, though they're not necessarily in any order that requires you to hear one before the other. That said, in the first episode, I talk a little bit about the book. I really, really enjoy the book. I consider it to be one of the best books that I've ever read. It does a fantastic job of taking normal, everyday words and language and repackaging them and looking at them from a completely different perspective for some of them than we do maybe ever in our lives. And it's that repackaging and different perspective that makes the book so life-changing. Today's topic is about love. And we've talked about courage and anger in the previous two episodes. And love is a good next step. These are, again, common words that we use all the time and we feel and we're familiar with. But we're looking at them in a slightly different way each of these episodes. Now again, it's January and we've emerged into a new year and with that comes change. The world changes, the seasons change, and so do we, ourselves. And love is a complex term, one that is interpreted and acted upon differently in different cultures around the world. Different cultures have multiple words for love. In the United States, in English, I guess I should say, we don't have multiple words for love. We talk about affection and liking someone and loving someone. We sort of use those as analogs, and they mean different things, of course. But it can take many forms, and it can be both everlasting and incredibly fleeting. It's an anomaly in that way. It is arguably the most complex and confusing and challenging, and but also fulfilling emotion that we know. Wherever you fall on the spectrum of love, whether it, you're deeply in it, maybe in a long-term committed relationship, or actively avoiding it, or somewhere in between, let's say, I'm not saying that's the perfect spectrum, it's a spectrum. There's something in David's words for you today. Because regardless of where you are on that spectrum, you understand what David is saying without even realizing you're doing so. If you've experienced love, think back to when you first felt it. I hate the term falling in love, but the first time you fell in love, if that makes more sense. Imagine in your mind where you were, who the person was, what you were doing, etc., It's an interesting time, to be sure. I know it is for me. When I think back on the first time that I felt love, and to to clarify here a little bit, I'm probably talking more about romantic love here than, than love towards maybe your parents or your siblings, but that may also fit the bill for you, as could probably love towards your children or even very close friends. But for the purposes of this episode, and to avoid case fitting for every single scenario which could come up, I'm presenting this from the perspective of romantic love. So if you've ever been in romantic love, think back to the first time that you felt it. 
And maybe it's with the only person that you've ever loved. Or maybe you've been in love multiple times, and you can remember individual instances of that. But try to reach way back to the very first time. If you're one of those multiple love people, then that's fantastic if you are. Think back to the very first time you felt love for someone else. What do you remember? Perhaps it's that butterfly feeling to which people refer. You ever wonder why we call it that? That fluttering, sporadic, unsettling deviation from the norm that is the first time that we feel love for someone? The willingness to simultaneously do anything for that person, but also afraid of that unfamiliar emotion. It's happiness unimagined juxtaposed with a desire to maybe bottle it up or, or even run away because it's so unsettling. Why, for example, do we make a big show of saying, I love you at all? Why is that a comedic trope, a statement to be feared, uh, a burning desire for immediate reciprocation, or will spin endlessly into a vortex of, wait, do they not love me? Why don't they love me? Like I love them. We don't imbibe so much meaning on any other word that I can think of. Why love? Well, I think David knows why. So I'm going to read the quote to you one more time, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it and see if we can't unpack his wonderful quote a little bit more. He says, quote, To consciously become close is a courageous form of unilateral disarmament, a chancing of our arm and our love, a willingness to hazard our affections and an unconscious declaration that we might be equal to the inevitable loss that the vulnerability of being close will bring. End quote. And there's a lot. In this quote, of course, the idea of disarmament, the idea of laying down our arms. When you think of that, perhaps you're thinking of a war or some old-timey soldier with a shield and a spear, laying them down, perhaps surrendering. Those analogies are all correct. I, my mind tends to jump to gladiators, let's say. You know, they had their various weapons. This isn't because, by the way, just as an aside, that I think about the Roman Empire all the time, because I don't. I'm not one of those people. I know that's been going around recently. I very rarely actually think about the Roman Empire. But in this case, when we talk about disarmament and laying down of arms, I tend to think more about gladiators and the different weapons that they had. I don't know why, but that's where my mind goes. So David is comparing confessions of love, acknowledgments of love, with disarming, with putting down our shields and our spears and our nets and anything else that we may have that's our weapon. Well, why do we have those to begin with? That's where my mind goes. Why do, we, why do we feel the need to have a shield and a spear with us at all times? Why do we have to disarm to confess or acknowledge that we love someone? Well, as I think through that, why would you need arms? Why would you need weapons? It's probably because you're afraid of something. And then I got to thinking, well... If we think about life in general, most of us are afraid, myself included. We, we all are, and we are a byproduct of our upbringing in that way. It's the things that we've learned or been taught, consciously or unconsciously, by the world. I said it. I've, I've somehow managed to grind the gears of this podcast from love to fear. But bear with me for just a moment, because if you think about how most of us are raised, we are raised incredibly risk-averse. We tend to make decisions based on outliers, things that rarely happen. There are psychological terms for this. The one that I always think back to is the fact that many people are afraid of flying. 
when in fact it turns out that flying is one of the safest forms of travel that you can possibly use. It's safer than walking. It's safer than driving. It's safer than taking the train. Why do we think it's so dangerous? Well, part of the reason is a psychological phenomenon, the name of which I can't remember at the moment, but it has to do with the fact that when you see a plane crash, it's horrific, right? There's flaming debris everywhere. There's a giant scar on the ground where the plane ground to a halt. Perhaps it nosedived into a mountain. Perhaps me even saying this makes you uncomfortable with the thought of flying. And it's true. When airplane crashes happen, they are particularly bad. That said, they happen incredibly rarely. And yet there are people that are still very, very afraid to fly. And I'm not saying that those people are illogical or wrong. Your fears are your fears, your feelings and emotions are yours, and that's fine. But the logical side of my brain goes to flying is very, very safe. Now, does that mean that in some way I'm not afraid of the prospect of potentially crashing into a field somewhere? No, of course. There's that, there's that underlying fear. But we're raised in that way, logically or illogically, to be afraid of certain things more than others. We're told at a very young age, don't talk to strangers, right? The implication being that those that you don't know are bad and should be avoided. Think about the long-term effects of that type of thinking. Most of the strangers that you meet are not bad people. The vast, vast majority of people that are in your path, that you cross paths with on a daily basis, are just like you. They are living their lives. They have hopes and dreams and fears and wishes and desires. They love, they hate, they all of the things that you do. But we're told don't talk to them. Because one of them, something maybe our parents or our grandparents saw on Dateline when they were growing up, was about a kid being abducted by a stranger in a mall. It doesn't take into account the fact that the other 9 million people in that mall, that's what it feels like sometimes anyway, are all good people. And talking to those people doesn't lead to you getting kidnapped. But we're told don't talk to strangers. Things like stop, drop, and roll, right? The trope, because you'll probably be on fire a lot in life, right? Of course. Or even things like be polite, lest you offend someone. Though I will say that is generally a good rule for social living. Subtle things like dress conservatively, or don't talk about X, Y, or Z at that particular thing or this particular time. Avoid eye contact. It's confrontational. And other things that are rarely explicitly said but are implied by our daily interactions. Even benign things, things that are actually fairly good advice for daily life, like drive defensively or maybe guard your heart. Those are all founded, in some way, on a sense of fear. Why do we buy insurance? Why do we pay month over month for insurance for our homes, our cars, ourselves, our pets, etc.? Because we're afraid that at some point in the future... There's a risk that one of those things will be damaged, injured, or what have you, and we'll have to pay for it out of pocket. And we'd rather have insurance and invest in that future at the expense of today, despite the fact that those things are normally very rare. Now, certain things as homes, people, pets, etc. get older, the likelihood that insurance is going to be needed is higher. But certainly when you're young. When people are young, those instances are relatively rare, yet we have insurance. In fact, in a lot of places, you're required to have insurance. Why? Again, a little bit of fear. And now, maybe you can see why White describes love the way that he does. We are, at the moment we acknowledge and vocalize or not, our love for someone else, making ourselves entirely vulnerable. One of those risks is potentially coming home 
to roost in that moment. We are laying out an emotion which is nearly impossible to control, which hazards us so much in character and substance and individuality that it can be horrifying. And I said individuality there because in the act of acknowledging and possibly vocalizing our love for another, we are tying a portion of ourselves to that person. And that sounds weird, maybe scary, but it's a little bit true. When we love someone, we create a sort of dependency. And don't misunderstand, this is not the dangerous codependency that we hear batted about in psychology circles. This is a recognition and an allowance, even, for someone else providing us something that we want and need. We are all dependent on others for things. We talked about this in the Steve Jobs episode a number of weeks ago, where he talked about being dependent on the person who makes his clothes, grows his food, designed and developed his language over time. He didn't do those things. He was dependent on those things. And that's beautiful. That's part of social living. So too in love. It's okay to acknowledge that another person brings a missing piece of you with them for you, and vice versa. That's a beautiful thing about love. So don't be afraid of the word individuality or dependency. It can be absolutely magical in manifestation, as those who are in love know. Love can be absolutely beautiful, but it can and often does lead to hurt. When White says that we're willing to, quote, hazard our affections and an unconscious declaration that we might be equal to the inevitable loss, that's what he's talking about. Consider romantic love. For many, this ideally means partnering, perhaps there's marriage, perhaps there are children, and building a life together. All good stuff, to be sure. But then what happens? Well, we say it in our wedding vows, most of us anyway, till death do us part. The implication, of course, there is that one day, one of you will die. And likely you won't both die at the same time. So someone is going to be left holding the love bag, so to speak. This is the inevitable loss, which can also take many other forms, breakups, divorces, etc. And it hurts like hell, regardless. Not to say that that particular path of marriage and children and life till death do us part is the only path, but it is very common. He says, we might be equal to the inevitable loss. Might is a powerful word there. It might break us, shatter our hearts, and force us to rebuild. And that, in and of itself, can be an informative, instructive, and beneficial time for us. Because we are resilient. I, for example, have been through the loss of love many times. And each time, it's painful. Each time, I didn't know if I was equal. And yet, each time, I was. So as we close today's episode, David's advice to us is, I think, to be willing to disarm ourselves, to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Because life is a short trip of several laps around the sun, and it can be incredibly lonely. Living in a shielded bubble from love, for fear of the loss it will bring, may be robbing you, or I, of incredible things. Harken back to the very first episode of this series, and be courageous in your love. Who knows what spectacular things lie in wait on the other side of that vulnerability. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com 
Find me on Instagram at QuotationsPod or join the conversation on Facebook at QuotationsPod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.